Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Attendance tonight, 58,922. Thank you for your support. Oh, that's all right. I'm glad so many of you are here. I was feeling all alone there for a little while. Holy moly. I could just see swathes of red seats with some white bits as well, you know. But here we are, and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're staying warm. It's cold here in Dublin today. Got up this morning, checked my uh, my weather app, which is what I do first thing every morning. I just, you know, I need to know. I need to know what's going to happen. Technology is a wonderful thing. I can pick up my phone and I can see what kind of a day it's going to be. Perhaps the greatest invention of modern times is the rainfall radar, so you can see if it's going to rain or not, or where the rain is. Do I have time to walk into town, to my studio, before the rain comes, or am I going to get absolutely soaked? So I do that, I check that. Anyway, this morning it said temperature in Dublin was zero, zero, you know, that's cold, but with a real feel of minus 10. Now, I know there are some of you who will be listening to this saying, ha, minus 10, zero, that's nothing, yes, but you choose to live in the frozen wastelands of North America or Canada or the Arctic or Scandinavia or Iceland or other really freezing parts of the world. You're used to it. And we don't have that here in Ireland. It's generally a temperate, mildish kind of climate, but when it gets cold, I really... I really feel it, so it's cold this morning. So wherever you are, I hope you're feeling warm. I know there are many of you as well listening to this who will be enjoying the sweltering heat of summer or the tropics or the equator or somewhere really warm. Just know that I am I'm jealous of you right now. Going around in your flip-flops and your shorts and your, your singlets, drinking a cold, cold beer, being refreshed by it, not frozen to your very core by it. But look, maybe one day I'll win the lottery and I can buy a house in a country where the temperature is about 25 degrees all year round. That's it. With a bit warmer in the summer, maybe a bit less in the winter, but generally speaking, warm. That's what it is. That's what I'm aiming for. Probably going to be a while, though. In the meantime, we'll just have to, you know, deal with the cold. And we'll also have to deal with Arsenal and football because that is why we're here. We've got a Premier League game against Southampton coming up this weekend away. A 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday. 
I really hate 12 o'clock kickoffs on a Sunday. They're just kind of soulless, aren't they? Everyone's just tired or hung over from Saturday night. But that's what we've got to deal with this Sunday against Southampton. So we'll think about that game between now and the end of the podcast. Also, we look back on what was a, a, a quite enjoyable win, I think, against Bate Borisov on Thursday night, which is why this podcast is late, by the way. The Europa League does play havoc with the podcasting schedule a bit. So it's impossible really to get something out on Friday morning first thing as normal when you've got a game on Thursday night. But we will look back on that. Six goals, our biggest win at the Emirates since uh, Ludogorets last season, which was, of course, the game which uh, was the last time we ever saw Santi Cazorla. That's a bit sad, isn't it? There was another update this week from Arsene Wenger who said he's hopeful that one day he might play again, but Cazorla has had to have another surgery uh, on his Achilles, and it's not the Achilles itself that's the problem now. The problem is that he's he's picked up an infection in the uh, the recovery process, and it's that infection that is causing all the problems. Um, you might remember a player from many years ago called Dave Boost, who played for Coventry City, who broke his leg in the most horrendous way. It was one of the first that I can really remember of those truly horrific leg-bending, breaking incidents, and... Uh, yeah, it was it was horrible. I advise if you ne- if you've never seen it, don't look it up because you won't thank me for it, and your brain won't thank you for it either, as that picture of his leg is uh, imprinted on your mind for the rest of your life. So don't do it. But just take my word for the fact that he had a very very bad injury. But it wasn't necessarily the injury that that uh, caused his retirement. It was the fact that when he was recovering, he picked up uh, an infection, a bit like Cazorla, and ultimately it was the infection that that forced him out of the game and into retirement of course it didn't help that his leg was you know bent in the shape of a letter u or w or whatever it was it was terrible but you know it just shows that the infection is the is the real thing that he's got to fight against here which um when you look at the ankle when you look at some of the pictures that have come out over the last little while uh, with Santi Cazorla the the skin grafts he's had to have from his arm to his uh, to his ankle the the damage that's been done to it because of this infection uh it's very difficult to see him playing again but uh but there you go that was a sad little tangent wasn't it from that 6-0 win over Borisov because we beat we beat uh, Ludogorets 6-0 in the Champions League uh, last season. Um, anyway, look, get well soon, Santi Cazorla. It would be amazing to see him in uh, an Arsenal shirt again. I don't really believe we're going to see him competitively in an Arsenal shirt again, but if he can get it together to you know come on in a game towards the end of the season, perhaps there's a game where we're playing at home, whatever happens doesn't make any difference to where we are in the league, having already secured the title, you know, Sorry, I mean, look, having already secured a a top four place, uh, that's got to be the aim anyway. Um, He can come on and he can get the the reception he deserves and also perhaps the goodbye that he deserves because it's such a shame to see a a wonderfully talented player uh, end his career or seemingly uh, head towards the end of his career like this. Anyway, we'll keep fingers crossed on that. But look, to uh, talk about the game against Bate Borisov and uh, look ahead to this weekend's game against Southampton, I'm joined by James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning. Good morning to you. Nice to be back. Yeah, this isn't an Arscast Extra and it's not an extra Arscast Extra. It's just 
a regular arse cast with you on it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a guest this time, not a co-host, so yeah. there's less onus on me. Absolutely, no pressure on you, and uh, I'm completely the boss of you now, so you've got to do everything <laughs> I say. Um, no change there. Yeah. <laughs> you were one of the uh, few people inside the, the stadium last night for that 6-0 win over Bate Borisov. Uh, you know, I, I suppose we should touch on that uh, before we start talking about the football a little bit. It, it was the lowest ever attendance at the Emirates, despite the fact that somewhere in the region of fifty-six or 58,000 tickets were reportedly sold. I know. There's about 25,000 people out there with tickets they didn't use. I guess everyone's got more money than I realised in London. But it is a bit of a shame. I mean, I can understand people not mm. choosing to come to the game and not taking up their seats. I guess what the shame is that there wasn't some effective way to redistribute those tickets because, you know, look at the game that we ended up seeing last night and I can't imagine there aren't, you know, a load of kids or, I don't know, people from the community who would love to come in and see that match. So I guess that might be something for Arsenal to look at going forward maybe yeah yeah Tr- try and find a way because you know when you think about the way tickets uh, and ticket management is done at football clubs and certainly at Arsenal over the last few years it's always been about focusing on a full stadium getting all those tickets sold when you've got a European night you know if Arsenal are playing Bayern Munich if Arsenal are playing in the Champions League it's high prestige it's commercial it's about selling these commercial packages to uh, corporate uh, clients getting people in the ground one way or the other but making sure that those tickets are sold and I think there is a new reality isn't there there appears to be a different Mm. kind of reality now where they're going to have to think about okay not how do we maximize our ticket revenue, which is what the aim has been, and you can understand why, and that's not necessarily just true of Arsenal, but how do we maximize the crowd? How do we maximize the amount of people in the ground? They're going to have to take into account that the Europa League is not as prestigious, the opposition is not as interesting, and there is this general feeling around the club uh, to a certain extent of some some apathy, and it was a dead rubber, and it was a cold night, and I understand all the reasons why people didn't come in, but I think they have to sit down and think about that. Like It's about getting as many people in the ground as possible rather than getting as much money out of the amount of people who come. Well, also, there's a commercial benefit to that, too. I mean, a, a full stadium, frankly, looks good on the television. It's good for sponsors. Uh, it's good for the prestige of the club. So, they're, they're, you know, we want to see the ground full. And I think if you think back to, I mean, not the more recent days of the Carabao Cup, but the, the highs of the Carling Cup, I mean, the, the ticketing scheme that we put in place then with the low price tickets and it's some great atmosphere on some of those nights. I appreciate those weren't dead rubbers in quite the same way, but it would be nice to think that there is a, a better solution than seeing all those empty seats as we did last night. Yeah, hopefully hopefully it is something that they give some uh, some con- consideration to. Uh, but those that did turn up got, uh, well, they got a, uh, an enjoyable night, I think. Uh, six mm. goals, the biggest win since a game in the Champions League last uh, season against Ludogratz. Um, uh, the team didn't have quite the same flavour of youth to it that we've seen in some of the previous rounds or certainly uh, that people might have hoped for, you know, just to give the game something a bit different a bit of something uh, that's not the norm but there was a change in the sense that Arsene Wenger went with a back four there's a couple of things I want to touch on there but I think the first one that occurs to me is that when we talk about the back four uh, or, or giving youth a chance or being able to experiment slightly with your team 
it allowed him to play Callum Chambers and Rob Holding together as a central defensive duo. Now, I know they weren't hugely tested and were unlikely to be hugely tested, but if we talk about the future of Arsenal Football Club, it's something we touched on on the Arscast Extra, right? Where the age profile of some of our centre-halves is, it, it, there's a difference. You know, you've got the young guys, you've got, kind of got Mustafi in the middle, but then you've got Mertesacker, Koscielny, Monreal, yeah. who are towards the, the end of their, their careers, uh, or certainly in the September of their careers in, in a couple of cases. But uh, Holding and Chambers, uh, and Chambers, who was given a new deal recently, by the way, are potentially the future at centre-half. So that I think that was an interesting selection. Yeah, it was. I mean, I would say that I think both those players can probably play in a three as well. And I think, you know, Chambers, many have said that it's a three might suit him more than a two. But maybe it was just something Arsene Wenger wanted to have a look at. I, I couldn't help but wonder as well. I know it's a completely different eleven, but our success uh, against Manchester United playing with a back four for the, so long in that game, was that a factor in Arsene Wenger's thinking? Did he think, well, this might be another opportunity to simply in terms of just getting that many attacking players on the field. I mean, Mm. the sheer number of chances we created across both games suggests that this is a system that maybe lends itself better to us creatively at any rate. Yeah, that was something I was going to touch on um, next. Uh, So you've kind of uh, preempted my next question there, but 33 attempts on goal in the Manchester United game, playing for the most part with with a back four after the 11th minute. Then last night playing with a back four, 23, I think it was, attempts on goals. Yeah. So that's over the course of two games, 56 attempts on goal with a team playing with a back four. I mean, do we, you know, how, how do we look at that? Was it because of the circumstances where one game is against very low class or low quality opposition? In fairness, Bate Borisov were poor. Um, and that's really not to, yeah really poor. I'm not trying to take anything away from what we did, but they they were really poor. And Manchester United were, you know, I'm not saying they were happy to sit back and let us have that many chances. And you've got to give some credit to us for for making those chances against Manchester United. But I don't know. There just seems to be something about having that extra man in the midfield area that allows us to link midfield and the front three better than we do with a back three? Well, I think in both those games, in both those instances, obviously not from the start against United, but from the point where they were 2-0 up, we probably knew to an extent we were going to have the majority of possession, that they would sit back a little bit more and the onus was kind of on us to do the the creative lockpicking. And the same was always going to be the case against Barté. You know, they were going to put men behind the ball, they were going to look to try and keep it tight. And I feel like when we're in that situation, clearly having that fourth attacking player, so, you know, that extra third player behind the front man, mm. does seem to be beneficial to us. And... Uh, I mean, last night, it was really exciting to watch it. It was a very senior front four. I know some people obviously wanted to see the likes of Nelson in the team, but Walcott, Giroud, Welbeck, uh, Wilshire in behind. They played some really good stuff. And yeah, I'll be really interested to see going forward if we see more of the back four, because it's interesting, isn't it, that Arsene stuck with it for so long, all through the group stage, even though he didn't necessarily have the players at times, playing Maitland-Niles and Nelson at wing-back, mm. playing Elneny at centre-half, and then to change it in the final game, start with a back four for the first time this season, it it does feel significant. Yeah, I've always been of the opinion that sooner or later he's going to go back to a back four. I think the, the big issue is trying to decide which central defensive pairing he might use in that Um 
But I think mm. I think it's where he feels more comfortable, generally speaking. Uh, we, you know, we've had some good performances with the back three, and you could say, for example, after the Spurs game, you could say, okay, this is in, in a way a kind of coming of age game for that back three. Now the team really feel like they can play with it. But I think you know Wenger himself is is more a proponent of the the back four, and I wonder if he's looked at the stats and he's looked at us not being significantly better defensively with a back three than we ever were with a back four and might feel that his best chance of winning games that he needs to win is by having that extra man further forward. Uh, And certainly on the evidence of what we've seen in the last couple of games, it it does make an impact, a positive impact. Yeah, and there are plenty of ways you could do it. I mean, you know, you could introduce, uh, say, Aaron Ramsey into into a more attacking role. You don't necessarily have to have him anchoring. You could put him as a a wide and have Ramsey as your number 10 or some Alexis in the other position. So there are lots of intriguing combinations that you could put together behind Lacazette. Uh, Yeah, was the back three the great tactical placebo? I mean, it basically comes down to that. And uh, I mean, we're interested to see what Wenger does this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, One man who seemed to benefit last night from the change in formation was Jack Wilshire. Uh, Mm. You know, he's played in the Europa League. He's played in a wide left position ostensibly although he's been given freedom to move around he's been he's been all right we've seen some flashes of jack wilshire of the past in those other games but not much but last night i thought he was really really good really impressive uh, on the ball a lot looking to make things happen could have scored a couple did score a good goal got an assist and there you can perhaps see another benefit to that formation change where we have an extra man, an extra option. So instead of having, uh, and I suppose in some ways you could argue with me here if you like, but I suppose it could apply to Theo Walcott as well in the sense that um, in the current formation, it feels like both Wilshire and Walcott are, if not redundant, they struggle to fit into that system. Whereas with a back four and with with uh, the the uh, the extra man further forward, it benefits them. And whether you whether you think they've got a future or whether you think they're great players or one way or the other, maybe it's a way of getting more out of the players that we have in this squad. Yeah, I think particularly in the case of Walcott. In that formation, he suddenly makes some measure of sense. I think in the in the three four two one, you know, he's not a ball carrier. He's not really got the technical ability to play as one of those withdrawn forwards. I think Wilshire can manage it better, but I think putting Wilshire directly in the middle last night with all these options around him did bring the best out of him. I agree with you. I thought he was outstanding, particularly in the first half. It's so fascinating watching him at close quarters, especially when you're used to watching Meza Ozil play in that kind of position. Ozil's all about running into space, constantly finding areas of the park which have been vacated, whereas Wilshire almost wills contact. He'll sometimes put himself right next to an opposition marker because he, he trusts himself to get away from them with his first touch. Uh, it's a very exciting and very hazardous style of play for him, but it, it paid dividends last night. I thought he was... As good as he's been, it's as good as he's looked. And I mean, obviously he got the goal, but I thought he was at the the heart of everything that we did that was good, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another man who enjoyed a little bit of a renaissance or some redemption was Matthew Debushi. Again, yeah. one of those players who you think he doesn't fit into this squad, really. Yeah, we've seen him in the back three and he's done okay there. But, you know, when it comes to where we might really need him, when you look at Matthew Debushi and think, okay, how... How do we view him in the context of this squad? We need him to be basically back up for Hector Bellerin. 
because we don't really have any backup for Hector Bellerin. Again, something we touched on on a podcast in the, the not-too-distant past. Like, what do we do? Who do we play at right wing-back if he's not around? But who do you play at right-back if he's not around? Matthew Debushi, perhaps showing that there's some life in the old dog yet. Yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me at the start of preseason, would Matthew Debushi figure for Arsenal I for the first team ever again, I probably would have said no. I think he now has played, started four of the six Europa League uh, matches. And actually, when you look at the contribution of the different players, I think he's actually been one of the stronger guys. I thought he did well at centre-back for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I thought at right-back, he had a very good game last night, a, an excellent goal, I think his first for three years. It's a curious case, isn't it? I mean, he sort of, he, he arrived, he looked promising and then injuries really, really have ravaged his career since then. But it's nice to see him get, it would be wrong to call it a, a redemption, but nice to see him get a little moment in the sun. And it'll be interesting to see if what that does is precipitate a move elsewhere in January or if Arsene keeps him around until the end of the season. Yeah, again, it will depend on what he does with the uh, with the formation. Can you remember yeah, his well, uh, his previous goal? I cannot know. I've seen that stat floating around. Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the goal, but I do remember the uh, I do remember the game. Uh, it was a two-two draw with Liverpool, uh, and if uh, if you remember, uh, Liverpool were down to ten men. We were winning two-one, and Martin Skirtle headed home an equaliser in the ninetieth minute. Uh, so one of those annoying uh, trips to Anfield, but that was Matthew Debussy's only uh, other goal uh, for Arsenal. But it was a great, great strike. Um, I, I think maybe there might have been a penalty on on Walcott, but, but the referee played on. And one of those that's always rising when it hits the back of the net. Um, yeah, I like those. It looked like it was. It was. Yeah, it would have travelled for some time. Uh, it was one of those where if the net hadn't stopped it, it would have taken someone out in the crowd. Apparently, Debussy's goal against Liverpool was. Uh, a header from an Alexis Sanchez free kick. It was flicked on by Mathieu Flamini, of all people, and finished by Debussy. What Math- a goal that must have been. Mathieu to Mathieu. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, the, uh, the the team selection in general then, just going, uh, finishing off on this game very briefly, you know, we, we did look at this as perhaps a chance to to give more playing time to some youngsters, but you can see the logic in picking the more senior players because if we do suffer an injury crisis if we do get fatigued if we do have players who are missing through suspension for example it is going to be the Walcott the Giroud the Debushi the Wilshire who's going to come in and fill the gap it's not going to be Enketia or Nelson or Joe Willock for example so you know yeah. giving those guys the playing time uh, even if they haven't necessarily shone uh, over the course of the entire Europa League campaign, you can see the logic behind those team selections. I think so. And also, I, I do wonder as well, is it potentially a factor that we are creeping ever closer to that January transfer window? And we've seen so much discussion about Olivier Giroud and Theo Walcott, players like that in the build-up to this game. And I just wonder if it's Arsene, in Arsenal's thoughts, you know, do I three weeks before the start of a transfer window where I'm keen to keep my squad together do I want to, you know, drop Olivier Giroud for Eddie and Katia? Do I want to leave out Theo Walcott for Reese Nelson and, and precipitate something happening there? Um, that might have been in his mind. I also think that it's interesting. We we talk about the distinction that exists between the first eleven and this kind of second string and how the likes of Giroud and Walcott have not been involved in the Premier League. And the story there, one it's one that I haven't seen talked about too much, and I'm touch touch word, but 
it, it, the story there is that we haven't really lost that many senior players from that Premier League team to mm. injury this season. We've largely been able to stick with something close to our best eleven. So it is partly about a, a drop-off in quality, but it's also about the fact that Arsenal hasn't had to really make those changes yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. And I, I think, do you think, I mean, you talk about the January transfer window. Do you think there's an element of him perhaps putting a couple of players in the shop window? Well, that would be the alternative viewpoint. I mean, if you know, there's, if there's been talk about Walcott, if he was, if there was anyone watching last night, they'd be interested because he had a fantastic game, mm. uh, comfortably the best game of the season. I don't know. I mean, look, Walcott's one who I think probably should be moved on. I don't think it makes sense to keep him at this point. I don't think he figures frequently enough. Um, but. Arsene Wenger's tendency is usually to try and keep people in January as far as he can I think the one thing that might change his mind is if he's thinking I need to somehow recoup some of the money that I'm going to lose out on the players leaving on free transfers yeah yeah, well, we'll have to see. Obviously, the other side of that, the fact that we haven't lost senior players is because they haven't been playing European football sure. midweek. They haven't been playing midweek European football. and The manager was talking about that as a virtue or something that, that was a, an advantage to us. But, you know, it hasn't really played out in terms of results, has it? Because last season we're playing Champions League, we're playing Premier League, we're playing more or less the same players weekend and midweek with a bit more rotation perhaps when it comes to the league but we went on this great run 19 games unbeaten uh, after the first game of the season and at this stage we'd only lost once in the Premier League. This time around with the ability to keep our squad fresh, to keep uh, rotating for Europe to ensure that players are getting good rest between games we've lost five times it's so I mean it's it's yeah. impossible to say that you know there's a okay there's a benefit in that some of these players are not injured but we're not seeing the benefit in terms of results and performances. Yeah, that's not particularly promising, is it? Uh you, you would think you know that we would see the benefit in the way that Chelsea have in the past, Liverpool have in the past that we'd suddenly be kind of liberated in the Premier League but our results actually have been on a, a downward trend. I don't know if that might be something to do with the way the fixtures have fallen. We have had some hard games, and I'd need to look at the corresponding matches for last season to see, you know, game for game, how much worse we're doing. Um, but in, when you look at the league table, it doesn't feel like it's any easier, that's for sure. Yeah. Should we do that now? Let's. Will we just take yeah. a quick break and we'll, we'll come back and do the, uh, the game for game analysis and see where we are? there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, we have, uh, we've crunched the numbers um, this oh, took us some time. Yeah, it was yeah. crunchy. <laughs> we're not we're not the maths geniuses, it has to be said. Um, but we've figured it out from the corresponding fixtures last season, only in the Premier League, uh, and bearing in mind that two of the games that we played so far this season were not part of the Premier League last season. Those were against Brighton and against Huddersfield. Uh, from the corresponding fixtures last season, we had twenty five points, and from this season, we have twenty two points. So we are. We are doing worse. We're three points worse off. We are three points worse off. I mean, it's not a it's not a huge difference, but it's not well. It's not better, is it? <laughs> it's definitely not better. No, nobody could say that it was better. No, no. Uh, so I don't know. And the, the slight worry is that the the kind of fixture congestion, the, the pile up with us still being in the Carabao Cup with the Europa League seemingly about to get significantly more competitive when I look at some of the teams we could face in the draw. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Premier League's not going to get any easier. Yeah. Um, when you look just very quickly at those uh, Europa League teams, surely somebody's done a... a uh, who could Arsenal face? Who could Arsenal I mean, the one face? That, the one that terrifies me is Napoli, I think, uh, are out there. Yeah, there's uh, Napoli, there's uh, Borussia Dortmund, Dortmund. there's yeah. Atletico Madrid. You know, there's some some good teams dropping down into this. Um, Leon, I think, are in there as well. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's going to be an interesting balancing act. But I do wonder, perhaps, if we look at what happened last season, the fact that you have to play your your first team, such as it is in Europe and also in the Premier League, even if you have to rotate a little bit, I do wonder if that enables a bit more momentum in terms of your results. On the on the yeah, other maybe. side on the other side though, maybe in the second half of the season we are gonna be fitter and stronger and more able to be competitive in the in the business end of the season, which is a time when we've often fallen away. Yeah, I mean, if Arsenal are infamous for anything, it is for kind of wilting in the spring. Uh, maybe with that bit of rest kind of in our back pockets, as it were, we will be able to to sustain our performance into those final months of the season because, you know, it's going to be frantic in the Premier League, particularly in that race for the top four. I think it's going to get pretty hectic and pretty tight. Mm. So this weekend, uh, we visit Southampton, traditionally a, a difficult kind of place for us to go. Um, but I'm not sure that this Southampton is necessarily as strong as uh, the Southampton we've seen in in, uh, in seasons past. They've only won four games all season. They've only won two from their last ten. You know, if you were yeah. being if you were being really cynical, James, you would say this is the perfect time for Southampton to play Arsenal because we'd be uh, very generous in handing them uh, another victory. But given that we played so well against Manchester United, we created so many chances that, you know, hopefully the players will feel angered and aggrieved, but also confident by by doing what they did against Manchester United, even if they didn't score and they've had a week's rest. You know, if we if we go there and don't really put in a performance, it would be a big disappointment. 
Yeah, I mean, Arsene was asked in the press conference last night about if he was annoyed about having to play at uh, midday on Sunday. I think in other circumstances, maybe he would be, but given that he made 11 changes for the Europa League and, mm. and none of those players are likely to start the weekend, it shouldn't really make any difference at all. And I actually think that as disappointed as the players were with their performance against United, I think that, you know, they can also take confidence from it in some ways. There was a lot they got right as well as what they got wrong, particularly going forward. Uh, and hopefully they come out with a bit of a point to prove. This is a, a not a Southampton team who are as strong as previous ones. We've seen their results recently have been poor. And I think having dropped three points, well, lost three points yeah. like that against United, we, we need these points now. We need to get back on a winning uh, streak ahead of, uh, of the Christmas period. Yeah, it's a pretty hectic schedule, schedule, schedule. Um, yeah, he was asked about that. He said, uh, you know, if he has a problem with it, he says, I'm nothing against the fact we have to kick off at midday as long as our opponents have the same recovery days. That was not the case last week and will not be the case again. Between three days and five days is a big gap on the recovery side, which I take that point completely, but you're not going to play any of the players who played uh, on Thursday night. That's the that's the, yeah. the issue here, right? It's that we're going to play players who've had seven days rest, not five days rest, uh, mm. because of because of that. So, I mean, that's really where you want to see us press home that advantage. Yeah, we really should be able to. And look, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the front three in action again, Alexis mm. Ozil, Lacazette. I'm looking forward to seeing Aaron Ramsey play. I think he's been you know, quietly one of the real stars of Arsenal's season. I know he's a bit of a divisive figure, but I think he's been fantastic recently. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see as well what Arsene does with the system. Is he going to go with the back three away from home? I think he probably, he will stick with that system, but there must be a little part of his brain wondering if it might be time to make a change. Mm, two back four or not two back four? That mm. is the question uh, as uh Old Billy Shakespeare wrote very famously all those years ago. Yes, alas, poor Mustafi. <laughs> <laughs> all right, James, uh, thank you as ever. We'll uh, we'll catch up again on Monday when we'll have an Arscast Extra. Uh, until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you to James. You know where to find him. He's on Twitter, at GunnarBlog. You can watch his post-match videos, the On The Whistle videos on his YouTube channel as well. So make sure you subscribe to that, youtube.com forward slash GunnarBlog. And of course, he will be here on Monday as we have another Arsecast Extra as we head into what is going to be a really, really busy time of the year. Now, looking ahead at what we've got to come, we've got a game on uh, December 10th, on Sunday. We go to Southampton. At midday, we're away at St. Mary's. Then on Wednesday, it's West Ham away in the Premier League. Uh, That's December 13th. December 16th, home to Newcastle. December 19th, uh, home to West Ham in the Carabao Cup. Of course, we could rest a few players there. December 22nd, Liverpool at home, followed by December 28th. Uh, we've got Crystal Palace away, uh, West Brom away on December 31st. That's New Year's Eve. January 3rd, uh, we've got Chelsea at home. Then there's an FA Cup game against Nottingham Forest. And if we were to win that game against Nottingham Forest, and if we were to beat West Ham in the Carabao Cup, we're looking at a potential 15 games between now and the end of January. That's a lot of football. 
Of course, we're looking at a squad right now that is pretty injury-free. Only Santi Cazorla is the uh, the uh, long-term absentee. Beyond that, everybody else seems to be relatively fit and healthy, but it's down to the manager now to try and find the balance in this uh, really busy period of the year, the Christmas period. Uh, is always hectic and it does place intense physical demands on the players and on the team and it is not unusual to pick up the odd injury along the way. So, again, coming back to the the uh, playing time he gave some of the more fringe first-team players, you can understand why that is because they are the ones that are going to have to deputise and some of those players are going to have to come into the squad probably during this period. We're going to have to use the full depth of our squad to keep everybody fit and healthy and hopefully fresh and to get the results that we need because there's some tricky fixtures in there. Liverpool at home, certainly Chelsea at home. Two big games in which we really need to answer some questions when we face the big opposition. I know we've beaten Tottenham, but we've already lost to Liverpool this season. We drew away with Chelsea. We've lost to City. We've lost to United. We need to make sure that in these uh, top four six-pointers, which is essentially what they are, that we start picking up some points and don't allow any gaps to uh, develop between us and them. But it is really one game at a time kind of uh, scenario right now. You just got to go, see how you get through that one, see who's fit, see who's got a, an ache or a strain or a little niggle along the way. And uh, and you make your team decisions and your team selections based on that. So look, that's really about it for this morning. Thank you for listening. Uh, we do have this game on Sunday against Southampton at St. Mary's. Let's hope we can go there and get the right result and uh, sort of kick ourselves off again after what happened last weekend against United. As I said, James and I will be here on uh, Monday with an Arscast Extra. Remember, we'll have all the news and previews on arsblog.com and news.arsblog.com which has all the match reports and goal clips and player ratings and all those things so make sure you check those out give us a follow on twitter at arsblog and at arsblog news and find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash the arsblog so look until monday in the arscast extra have yourselves a great weekend until then cheers bye bye This is Holy God FM, playing the tunes that you love, 24 hours a day, 6 days a week, because, you know, we take Sunday off, what with it being, you know, the Lord's Day and all that. Speaking of which, we've had a bit of a communication from on high, consider this a public service announcement, if you will. Now, as we all know, access to up there when we pass from this mortal coil, has long been dependent on our actions and our deeds during our life. How good we are, how merciful we are, 
how we show our devotion to God. Well, from now on, there are going to be new criteria taking us into the modern age, if you will. Now, when you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter is there with his list of what you did and what you didn't do, he will be taking into account a new metric called expected prayers. This is how many prayers God expects you to give him during your time on earth, given the circumstances of your life. If your expected prayers doesn't match, well, the gates won't be open and you'll be going downstairs to the fella in red. That's right, you'll be spending eternity with Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, Satan. So, make sure that your prayer radar is full, that your stat for opening doors for old ladies is in the 90th percentile, and make sure you can plot the virtuousness of your life through a series of barely distinguishable graphics that look like they were created on Microsoft Paint. Now, it's back to the music, and whether we like it or not in life, everything must change. As a wise man once said, that man was Paul Young. I was never one to back out of an argument and say I was wrong Even when I'd seen the other side I'd hide my foolishness and carry on But still I'd be embarrassed Cause they'd see what happened and they'd play along Till I back myself into a corner I would only realize that they are gone And I could dream a life of reason Everything must change Everything, everything must change Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.